Well, good morning. Glad you are here with us uh, in, in service here. And if you're watching online, glad you're joining us there as well. And down at F3, uh, joining us there. This is, um, continues to always be a challenge uh, as we maneuver through these, these times. Um, and as we, people are becoming more and more maybe comfortable of coming, then we're filling up our spaces here. And that's a challenge because uh, we want to maintain the, the proper distancing and things like that. So really appreciate our ushers. It's a, it's, it's a challenge, but we, under normal conditions, we can seat 800 people here easily. But when we do the social distancing type thing, you cut that down to we're struggling to get 280 in, in a service. And um, uh, that's, uh, that's a challenge. Same thing down at F3. So we appreciate your, your patience with us. If the ushers seat us, um, and there's a method to the madness, then we can get as many people in here as uh, possibly we can safely. We do have an overflow uh, next door, which, um, you know, who, wa who wants to be in an overflow? But we, we can use that. And, uh, uh, of course, we have our second service as well, but that's, that, that's getting full too. We can add actually a fourth service at nine o'clock downstairs and that's an option as well. So anyway, appreciate your willingness to, to work with us and your patience. Uh, our goal is to get as many people as we can in here safely, properly distanced and to do that we've got to be a little proactive uh, and so our ushers are doing a great job of, uh, of accomplishing that. But um, hey, who would have thought we'd be here, right? But the Big Ten is going to be kicking off in a couple of weeks, so life is good. <laughs> Terrible. Hey, let me introduce you to Lydia and Deepak. Um, Gopal Manali is a, uh, a pastor over in Nepal that we've been working with, uh, as partnering with in our global missions for many years, and he introduced us this week to this young couple. Let me tell you their story. It's it's um, quite an amazing story. Lydia um, suffered from demonic oppression and demonic possession for many years. I mean, very, very serious. Um, Gopal wrote and told us how she would become insanely mad and with superhuman strength. She would then pass out for hours and sometimes up to three or four days she would lay unconscious after these fits of demonic oppression. Her husband, Deepak, would take her to doctors, uh, hospitals, no help whatsoever. Um, witch doctors, uh, they, they sacrifice their animals and uh, try, to, try to help, and no help. Uh, she would be, um, three or four people couldn't hold her down when she would get in these fits of this rage and this, this superhuman strength, this demonic oppression. Finally, a relative of theirs told them about Gopal in another village about 150 kilometers away. And as a last resort, they went and sought out Gopal, met him, and uh, as he began to pray over them, of course, the demonic forces lashed out with a vengeance. But as time went on, the power of Christ began to take over. Over the next three months, Gopal... Um, took them through some Bible studies, creation of Christ, materials that we have sent them and, and trained them in, and they begin to just go through the Bible. And over time, very slowly, things begin to change. 
And finally, after three months, Lydia and Deepak trusted Christ as their Savior. And all of that demonic stuff came to an end. And they experienced the freedom in Christ for the first time in their life. And all during this time, this young couple were unable to have children. But that year, just uh, two years ago, a year and a half ago, they, um, Lydia got pregnant and they had this little baby girl now. And they're growing in their faith in Christ uh, because of God's wonderful grace. And it reminds us of a verse like 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that says, If anyone is in Christ... He really is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. In our study of the book of Romans, we've seen how um, transgression of the one, that was Adam, death reigned. And so this world was plunged into this, this, this hole of the evil one. Sin reigned. Death reigned. But he goes on and says, Much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Or in chapter 6, for if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that that old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we no longer are slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. And that young couple over in Nepal are experiencing that. Lydia and Deepak are experiencing the freedom of from sin, from the clutches of the evil one. Why? Because of God's superabounding grace, the superabounding grace and mercy of God. God brings undeserving sinners from spiritual death to spiritual life because of his abounding grace. He doesn't demand anything of undeserving sinners because he knows we can do nothing. And in His kindness and in His grace, He provides total freedom from sin. He died on the cross, Jesus did. He paid for our sins. He rose again. And out of His sheer goodness and grace, He offers to anyone who will receive it by faith that free gift of life and life forevermore. In fact, Paul will say in chapter 5, verse 20, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. You can never out-sin God's grace. Now, that raises some questions. And we're studying the book of Romans, and I want you to take your Bibles again, and we'll turn to Romans chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 1, Paul raises this question after talking about grace. And he says in chapter 6, verse 1, well, shall we say, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? Man, if, if, if more and more sin brings about more and more grace, well, how about shall we sin more that grace can abound more? Shall we sin in order to obtain grace? Well, of course, Paul begins to answer that question. and He says in verse 2, Of course not. May it never be. How shall we who have died to sin continue to live in it? And what Paul does in these next verses through verse 14 is lay out a theological basis for this wonderful truth that we have a new identity. If we trusted Christ as our personal Savior, our life is hidden with Jesus Christ. And he goes on to explain. It's as if 
When, when Jesus died, we died with him. And when he was buried, we were buried with him. And when he rose from the dead, we rose from the dead. It's as if our life is intertwined with the life of Jesus. And what is true of Jesus becomes true of us. How shall we who have died to sin continue to live within it? It's preposterous to think that way. We are new creations in Christ. We have a new identity. And therefore, we no longer have to live the way we once lived because we're not the people we once were. And that's the argument that Paul is trying to communicate. Why continue in sin when we're new creations in Christ? And so he concludes their building to verse 14, and he says, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, you are under grace. We've been set free. We have a new identity. But then he said, and we saw this last week, because we're not under law, we're under grace. And we saw last week how under law simply means that God has a standard that he calls us to follow, holiness, a life of holiness. But the law says, here, obey this, but doesn't give us any power to actually accomplish it. It simply puts us under the dictates of the law. Here's the standard, now go out and obey it. And all that the law does, as good and holy as it is, as we'll see in the coming weeks, is put a spotlight on our total inability to obey that law. All it does is put a spotlight on God's wonderful holy standard and our imperfections and inability to meet that standard. Here, here's a law. Now do it. Oh, I can't. Oh, you're a sinner. Oh, here's another law. All right, I'll give it a good try. Oh, ah, broke that one. You're a sinner. Oh, here's another law. Obey it. Well, all right, I'll give it the old finding try. Ah, failed again. Being under laws, being under this dictate, this standard that says obey it, but good luck because you can't. It guarantees failure. In fact, it, it incites sin. It exposes it and actually incites it. But in verse 14, he says, you're not under law. You're under grace. And being under grace means that, oh, here's the standard of God, but guess what? I'll empower you to actually obey it. I'll give you the strength. I'll give you the power. I'll even give you the motivation. Trust me. Live by faith. And I will actually do that work within you. And it's all sheer grace. And so we can appropriate the power that he gives us by his sheer grace and kindness. And so one of the most important phrases, I think, in all the Bible is that little phrase in verse 14. We're not under law, we're under grace. And it puts a whole different perspective. But I raised a second question as we see in, now in verse 15. We're not under law, we're under grace. But verse 15 says, well, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? The first question was, shall I continue in sin to obtain more grace? No. Here's the second question. Shall we because uh, we're not under law, under grace, shall we continue to sin? Shall we sin because we're safely under grace? You know, whenever we talk about grace, it seems like this question comes up. 
We, we teach grace a lot here at Fellowship Bible Church over the years. But with the teaching of grace, it seems like we always get questions about, well, you know, aren't you giving people a license to go out and sin? I mean, shouldn't you hang something over people? Like hell or something? That if you continue in sin... Is it really a free gift? I mean, don't, don't we have to maintain it? I mean, and so whenever you teach about grace, questions about uh, sin, it happens today. It happened 2,000 years ago when Paul preached this. Nothing's new. But if grace is not taught properly, it does lead to confusion, which is exactly what the Apostle Paul is going to do in the following verses in chapter 6. So let's keep reading. Look at verse 15 again. What shall we say? Shall we sin? Because we're not under law, but under grace? May it never be. And then he explains in verse 16. There's two options for living. He says, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? Now, this is pretty profound because what Paul is suggesting is that there are two options for living. Every one of us in this room, everyone listening online, everyone in this world has two options. We either live out our life as a slave to sin, and verse 16 says that results in death, or we can have the option of living under obedience, and the result of that is righteousness. There are two options. There's no in-between. Paul is saying everyone is a slave to something. Now, I don't know if, what that does to you, but I tell you, I think when Paul was writing this and the people in Rome were reading this, it was probably like nails on a chalkboard to hear the word slavery. Eight times Paul talks about slavery here in this passage. You see, 35-40% of the population in ancient Rome were slaves. And now he's talking about, well, we're all slaves to something. In fact, there are only two options. Either slaves to sin or slaves to him, to righteousness. Paul is making it very clear that there's no such thing, really, no such thing as human autonomy. No such thing as freedom from all outside powers and influences. We are either living our lives under the power of sin or we're living our lives under his power. And the question is not, will I have a master over me? The question is, which master is going to be over me? Either obey sin and its dictates. And Paul says, that's going to result in death. Obey God, that's going to result in life, righteousness. We either serve sin or we serve him. Two options. Now, again, let's understand that Paul is talking about how we're living our daily lives, the, the nitty-gritty things of life, the daily living of our life. As far as our standing before God, our position in Him, he says you are already complete in Christ. He says you're already made perfect. The righteousness of Christ has been brought over to our account at the moment of faith we have been declared right, that's justification, the big word. We stand before a holy God 
complete, righteous in his eyes, not with the righteousness of our own, but because of Christ's righteousness. Our position in Christ, our identity with him as a believer in Jesus Christ, is perfectly intact, righteous. That's our position. But the day in and day out of life, living, that's a totally different matter. How we are living out our position in Christ in our daily practice, this is what Paul is addressing. And in that day in, day out way of life, we get up in the morning, we get dressed, we eat, we head out to school or to work or whatever it might be. We make choices. And one choice is to, oh, I think I'll, I would prefer to say that to that person. I, I prefer to, to watch that. Or I'm being enticed to, to, in this temptation to, to do this because it's what I want and it's sin. It deviates from the standard of God. You make that choice, you have become enslaved to a master called sin. And Paul says, oh, let me tell you, the, the consequences are deadly. Or we get up in the morning, get dressed, go eat, head out to school, head out to work, and make the choice, I want to live for you. I can either serve sin today or I can serve you today, God. And we appropriate the power that he gives us in the moment-by-moment experience of walking with the Holy Spirit to live for him. Two choices. Now, verse 17 and 18, Paul reminds us, though, of some great, great truth. Verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed, and having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So Paul quickly reminds them, hey, you know, you don't have to live under the slavery of sin. In fact, you haven't. Think back, he said. You were once slaves to sin. You became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. You have experienced it. That's your identity. You have lived under that new master of, of, of grace. You're under new management. It worked for you. You don't have to yield back under the old management of sin. It doesn't have to define us. Back when I was a college student at the University of Nebraska, the, 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 my first apartment after getting out of the dorms, lived with a couple of roommates, and very quickly we found out why no one else took that lease we unaffectionately called it Cockroach Haven. I mean, this place was a mess. You'd come home at night, flip on the light, and you'd see the furniture move six inches. Kid you not. The previous students there, well, no one ever knew what happened to them. They just disappeared. They have no, there was no history of whatever happened to them. That's where we lived, and yet we were tied into a, a lease, and so we had to continue that for the following nine months until we were done with that lease, and we had learned our lesson. We worked a little harder, got a little extra money, and we got a really nice apartment that next year. Clean, fairly new, and, you know, we were in Fat City in a brand new apartment. Now, can you imagine four mentions of that new apartment living, that new management? There would be a knock at the door, and the old landlord showed up and said, Hey, Carrie, you owe me four months rent. Pay up. 
or you're going to be in trouble with, legally with the law. What? I, I, I don't owe you anything. You're not my landlord. Yeah, come on, pay up, I mean it. And with the growl and the roughness and, you know, he... No, 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 I, I've got, uh, this is a whole new management, a whole new a landlord. I, I, that lease is done. I have, I don't need, I don't owe you anything. And see, as believers in Jesus Christ, we're under new management. We have a new landlord. We've been transferred out of the realm and the, of darkness of the kingdom of, of the evil one into the kingdom of his beloved son at the moment of faith. We're new under new management. And so as Christians, we no longer have to live under the dictates of that old landlord. We don't have to succumb to sin. We are freed from it because of the cross of Jesus Christ. We can live in that freedom if we so choose to. Now Paul in verse 17 and 18, if you don't mind, I'm just going to get a little technical here. He reminds us of um, the, the, the truth that God has accomplished this in us. And he does that by using the passive voice. You know, there's active voice or passive voice. Active voice is we do it. Passive voice, it's done to us. Passive voice. So you look at verse 17 again. He says, thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed now, the New King James says, you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. To which you were delivered. Or the NIV says, you have come to obey from the heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. That's in passive voice. In other words, what he's saying is, this new form of teaching, this grace teaching, it's as if God picked you up out of that that old slumlord apartment, cockroach haven, and he delivered you over to something new. Passive voice. God did this. That's why he says at the beginning of verse 17, thanks be to God. He grabbed us from this realm and he put us in this realm. He delivered us over. God did that. And then in verse 18, and he says, and having been freed from sin, that's passive voice, who set us free from sin? God did. Having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. That's passive voice. God placed you under his domain, under his rulership. Thanks be to God. So why would we want to go back under king sin? Why would we want to, be, to fall into that whole realm of of being dominated by sin when we've been set free from it, says Paul. Having been freed from sin, we became slaves of righteousness. And what is our responsibility? Yield ourselves to that truth. Present ourselves to that truth. This new conduct, look at verse 19. He says, I'm speaking in terms, in human terms, because of the weakness of your flesh. And it's almost like, by the way, that Paul is saying, now, he's writing under divine inspiration, so let's not miss that. But even under divine inspiration, as Paul is, is pushing that, that quill over that parchment and he's writing these words, it's like 
Ooh, slavery, that's a human concept I know no one will like, but, but God is inspiring Paul to, to write about this analogy of human slavery. And he says, I, I, it's, um, I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. He said, you'll understand the concept of slavery. It pervaded Roman culture. But then he says in verse 19, for just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in holiness and sanctification. Do you see the choice? Under the old management, under that old landlord, we could do nothing but sin. And the members of our body were just taken over and we daily lived in that realm. Well, Paul is saying, man, I wish you, had, you would pursue holiness with the same zeal that you used to pursue sin. You've already experienced freedom in Christ. You have become slaves of righteousness. That's our identity in Christ. Now, live it out. And you experienced it once in your Christian experience. Now, do it again. Present the members of your body as slaves of righteousness. We talked about that last week. Here I am, Lord. I know I'm going to struggle with my tongue. I know I'm going to see things that, I, that I'm going to be enticed to go see that are, that are going to be impure. My mind, impure thoughts can happen. Lord, I present this to you. Now, Lord, take charge. You're, you're, you're my master and Lord. And as we go about our day, we go to work, we go to school, in those situations where all of a sudden our tongue can spew out hate or disgust or anger, our eyes can see things they shouldn't, our mind can wander. We take charge, we make a choice. We can either present it as instruments of unrighteousness, sin, or, Lord, I'm under your dominion. Now, do it again, says Paul. Why would you want to mess around with sin when there is holiness, he says. It results in sanctification, last part of verse 19, or holiness. Our new position in Christ, perfect in Christ, sanctification is now making in our practice what is very true of us in our position, and it results in life. Now, let me quick stop for a moment, because every time we talk about grace again, we raise the issues of sin, but it also is, raises the issue of human responsibility. Here's the Apostle Paul, <clears throat> this great proponent of grace, this, this one who expounds that not I, but, but, but the grace of God. Here is the Apostle Paul who is very, very concerned about Christians' life of holiness. He was never satisfied to see fellow believers um, living under the dictates of sin, struggling with sin. He, he never tolerated it. He called people to holiness, and he just did it here. Present yourself as, as slaves of righteousness, and it'll result in your holiness. We have a calling from God to live holy lives. He didn't just save us and get us into a free ticket to heaven so that we can kind of live our life just exactly the way we want, keep struggling with sin. 
He delivered us out of that so that we could live a life to honor and glorify Him in a world that doesn't know Him. We have a calling. And we can never impart what we're not personally possessing and living out, holiness, the life of God. So the Apostle Paul was very concerned about how we are living out a life of holiness. Now, Sometimes when we teach grace, we're so concerned sometimes against legalism that when we teach grace, we kind of downplay anything of human responsibility because we don't want it to be legalism. I can't do anything, so I don't want to slip into legalism. And so we have this mentality of God, you know, the, the puppeteer, and we're a marionette puppet, and he, he just pulls the strings, and I can't, I, I can't do anything until, you know, God, you know, jerks me around. It's a misunderstanding of grace teaching. It can cause us to live under the false assumption that until God does it, I can't do anything. Grace teaching does not strip human responsibility out of the equation. It's just not taught in the Bible. Now, it's certainly true. Apart from Christ, I can do zippo, nothing. And yes, apart from God's enabling grace, all human efforts will result in failure. Certainly true. But so is the fact that the Scriptures command us, present the members of your body. Take the responsibility. Get up in the morning and present yourselves to Him so that we can live out in our practice what is really true of, of our position in Christ. Let's not forget what Paul wrote elsewhere in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He said, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you're not your own? You have been bought with a price. And so therefore glorify God in your bodies. Present yourselves to Him moment by moment, daily. Now, real quickly, let's look at a, a few verses that shows this... Um, this uh, God's grace and human responsibility. Some fascinating verses. Like, for instance, remember this one? Philippians 2. So then, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. All right, folks, we're, sermon's about done. We're going to leave here. Let's get out there and let's work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That's what it says. Oh, but it does say, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. It's God doing it in us, both to will and to do it for his good pleasure. Or how about this one, Colossians 1, 28, 29, one of my favorite verses. We proclaim him, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we can present every man complete in Christ. And for this purpose, I labor striving. All right? We have a calling. We've got to go out there and save the world. The world is going to hell. We've got a message of grace. Let's get out there, folks. Come on. Let's get out there. And Paul says, yeah, I'm going to labor and I'm going to strive. But then he adds at the very end, uh, according to his power, which mightily works within me. Human responsibility, God's enabling grace. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. 
and his grace toward me did not prove vain. I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. And that's a very important preposition, with me. It's a preposition of association or in cooperation with. I don't sit on my hands. I don't wait for God to do it. I step out in faith, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, I present myself to him. God cares about our holy living. And he works in cooperation with my work. Now back to Romans chapter 6. Living under the dictates of the master's sin is not something we're going to want to do because the consequences are deadly. Look at verse 21. Therefore, what benefit were you then driving from the things of which you are now ashamed of? For the outcome of those things is death. It's just like he's saying, hey, think back to before you knew Jesus. Now, that's hard for me to do because I became a Christian. I was like five years old, grew up in a Christian home. You know, you've heard that story. And so, um, but some of you, you've got a testimony. I mean, a, 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 an interesting one. I've got a boring one. Some of you got an interesting testimony. Like what it was like to live before you knew Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And Paul is saying, hey, think back to that, you Romans. And let me ask you the question, he says, what benefit did you derive from the things that now you know are, are shameful? What was the benefit? Well, none. The outcome of those things is death. But now, verse 22, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in holiness, sanctification, and the outcome, eternal life. Two choices. Serve sin and experience death. Now, we've defined death many times here at Fellowship Bible Church. We're not saying, I sin and my heart stops beating and I die physically. I mean, we all are going to die at some point. But when he talks about death here, he's talking about being withdrawn from the very life of God and the joy and the abundance of living that he came to give us. It's the quality of life he calls eternal life. You realize as a believer in Jesus Christ, the moment you trusted him, that's when eternal life began. We don't have to die and wait to get eternal life in heaven. We possess it now. The question is, are we experiencing it? The nitty-gritty living here in life. This is what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 6. And we have two choices. As believers in Jesus Christ, we can live our day today and tomorrow and this week and the rest of our life either under the dictates of ourself or sin. And we'll experience the deadly consequences, the stench of death in our life, the struggle of no joy, no peace, the struggle of, of just the of being separated from the life of God. Or we present ourselves to Him. It's an act of our will to get up each day and say, Lord, here I am. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. You're the potter. I'm the clay. So mold me and make me after your way. I present myself to you. Because this thing called the Christian life, it's, it's serious. You saved me for a purpose. You delivered me out of the domain of darkness. You want to use me for, your, for, for your, your glory in this world. 
And as we come under his command and under his direction and under his leadership and under his power, you know what the experience is? Life. And he summarizes it in verse 23, that famous verse, the wages of sin is death every time. We make a choice every day, and we can leave here, and we can go, and all of a sudden we can find ourselves caught in the clutches of sin. You know what that sin pays? You know what the wages of sin? Death. The deadly consequences. A life stripped of joy and purpose and love and peace. But the free gift of God, verse 23, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The experience of life like it was meant to be lived. The experience of life that Jesus died on the cross to give us. Oh, the, the importance of this passage cannot be overstated. That's truly a matter of life or death. The experience of life the experience of death. Homes are being destroyed. Christian homes are being destroyed today. You know why? Sin. Because a choice was made to let sin reign. There's alienation between parents and their children in Christian homes today. Why? Sin. A choice was made. And the wages of sin is death. We allow sin to reign. We end up shutting ourselves off to the life of God. The deadly consequences of sin. But the free gift of God is eternal life. What, what, what are we to do? What, what's this Romans 6 passage all about? It's know these truths. Our new identity of life in Christ. And then reckon it to be true. Believe it to be true. Here's the facts. Here's the truth. Now believe it, Paul is saying. And then as you believe it, present, yield yourselves to him moment by moment every day. And then step out in faith and obey it. Know and believe it and present it ourselves to him. And then live out in obedience. I got a, an email a few days ago from a senior saint here at Fellowship Bible Church. A dear person who wrote over the years, I've heard so many opposite teachings that it's, I, I've let the truth slip away, causing so much confusion and trying and trying and trying on my part in my Christian life. Being under condemnation a good part of the time, and it's a terrible way to live, and now I'm old and I'm longing for more. I've so longed to have victory over sin, to please God, yet always when I fail, I concentrate on my sin. I concentrate on sin and it's always brought condemnation. You loser, you sinner, try harder, try harder next time. But then they write this Romans 6, 7, and 8. It's so vitally important. At least it is for me. And I feel the longing in me to live in Romans 8. I think I'm getting there and depending on the Lord to open my eyes. I cry out to Him daily as I present myself to Him. Yet, if I'm not careful, I'll strive and even make a do out of this. But then they add, Paul is saying, I don't have to live this life of bondage. 
And as I cry, Abba, Father, as Romans 8 compels me, He delivers me from the bondage of sin and death. But when you're so used to trying, it's a hard habit to break, and it gets very tiring. But I'm so grateful for Romans 6, 7, and 8. I really want to be able to see this in my life. I guess I'm never too old to learn. (laughs) Praise God. We're never too old to learn. Eternal life is ours. The experience of eternal life is ours. But as we close, let's not forget what Jesus said the night before he was crucified. This is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life. It's communion and intimacy and fellowship with him a real person, the living God who invites us to experience what he's already given us, eternal life. Jesus said you'll know the truth. The truth will set you free to experience life. I'll tell you one thing, there's a young couple in Nepal who knows what it's all about. Lydia and Deepak. And boy, are they living. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for communicating to us in your kindness and grace, giving us hope and giving us uh, truth and, and most important of all, giving us yourself. Thank you, Jesus. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And you invite us to experience you right now, even right here, throughout the rest of our life. In Jesus Christ's name, we pray it with thanksgiving. Amen.